Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Greetings and welcome to the Gamesmaster Team Championships question mark. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Gamesmaster. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, and I've got the biggest punch of the day. Oh no, you haven't. Oh yes, I have. Moving on, I'm Ash Versus. <laughs> this episode aired on the 23rd of December 1993. Take that, a top of the pops with Babe, but we are discovering the secrets of Tom Thumb at the top of the box office. Luke, happy Christmas. I, I know, it's we just had Christmas. We're recording Christmas in February, for I think this goes out Christmas in March. So Merry Christmas once again. Merry Christmas 1993. We actually managed to celebrate this date twice now because we did a Christmas special last year. Do you know what? After the past 12 months, I think we've earned two Christmases. Indeed. I've been doing lots of early morning walks recently because safest way to do a good amount of exercise while avoiding people. And so I've been walking down a lot of streets just to try and make up the distance. A lot of people out there that have still got their Christmas trees up. And do you know what? I think they've got the right idea. I'm, I'm kind of regretting it. I'm thinking... I'd like to have that tree in the corner again with its twinkly lights and its baubles and its other various decorations. Yeah, I mean, we only just took down Christmas cards that were like, it's actually the year we've had like the most Christmas cards we've ever had. We've only just taken them down. And the only reason we've taken them down is because I was filming something in the living room and they were in the background. And I was like, I probably should just move these to one side. And now they're just taken down. But that 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 was the kicker. Otherwise, they probably would have just stayed there all year. At this time, when we can't really go anywhere, it's nice to have a bit extra festivity. And we are doing a Christmas episode because this is the Christmas episode of Games Master. But this is not a full-on another Christmas episode. Like, we're not wearing Santa hats again. Um, we're not going to be going through the Argos catalogue yeah, we're not going to go through the TV guide because we did that on the Christmas special 93 episodes. But by Jingo, preparing for this episode, it did get me feeling a fair bit festive. 
in a very different way to our last episode, this was a much more cheesy festive. Oh, yes, it was, uh, which we will get into uh, very, very shortly. I mean, do we want to talk about Tom Thumb? I mean, like, Adam's Family Values was the big movie of the weekend. Like, I looked at, like, the, the Salty Popcorn weekend tracker, and Tom Thumb's not there at all. So, but according to Wikipedia, it was the number one box office. It's, I mean, it's 60 minutes, so it's not even a feature movie. It's a, it's an episode of TV. From the award-winning Bolex Brothers comes a powerful and astonishing story directed by Dave Borthwick. The Secret Adventures of Tom Thumb evokes a timeless netherworld which may seem uncomfortably familiar. This is no ordinary fairy tale. <laughs> Born into a bleak and bug-infested world, hmm. Tom gave his parents a happy reason for their own poor existence. Why don't we call him Tom? Tom Thumb. His innocence was a sign of hope for them. But sinister forces were at work, toying with life for their own destructive ends. Purely on a technicality, it is a feature. I wish I could find more information on how this got into the cinemas and what it was doing. Originally, it was actually pitched as like a 10-minute short, and it didn't get commissioned, but then it did get commissioned, and that 10 minutes went out to 60. And we've had some films during our time on Under Consultation where we've no idea how these got to number one, not because they're bad, but just because they're not mainstream. If you look at it now, mainstream cinema rules the roost. Smaller films will kind of occasionally puncture the top 10, but unless they get a big cans kind of push or some sort of social media or, or news push behind them, the indie films kind of languish. And this film, it's very indie. It's out there on DVD. It can be found on various streaming sites. And I would recommend that people track this one down one way or another because it is unlike anything that I have yeah. watched for under consultation. It is not stop motion per se. It's kind of live action, animation, stop motion. It, it's such an odd blend of technologies and techniques and aesthetics. Aesthetically, it reminds me of City of Lost Children and that, um, I'm blanking on the director's name, also did Alien Resurrection. Jean-Pierre Genet. Yes, that's the chap. Um, it's that kind of like grimy aesthetic. And it is a very twisted retelling of Tom Thumb because most of the time in Tom Thumb, you never go into how does Tom Thumb come to be? Whereas mm. here, it's quite clear. It all happens because of an accident in an artificial insemination factory where a mechanical wasp is crushed to death by the machinery. Essentially, it corrupts and messes with one of the jars on the conveyor belt. And the result is the woman of the couple gives birth to a tiny thumb-sized Beatus featured child and it gets weirder from there because Tom Thumb is stop motion and that's why the live action is also stop motion. It's mostly silent as films go. Most communication is non-verbal, it's grunts, it's sounds, it's expressions, amazingly rubber-faced people that actually perform in it. So much expression and communication. It's 60 minutes you can watch this in a lunch break. It's yeah. not a laugh a minute. It's no. definitely not laugh a minute. It gets really dark and really twisted. But very few people will go, yeah, that's run of the mill. 
see that all the time. I mean, I watch a lot of weird cinema, Luke. I've never seen anything like this. It's so utterly bizarre. Just have a quick Google of this. If you've not seen it or if you've not watched the trailer for this or anything like that, just have a quick Google because like the, the creature design itself of Tub Thumb is, yeah, like you said, it looks like a it's a fetus and it is a an, an animated fetus. And it is like just a bizarre, bizarre to look at. It's also it's it's fascinating as well because as you say, it's 60 minutes. So by British standards, it is technically a feature because I think it's only got to be over 45 minutes for be a feature in the in Britain, whereas like it's 75 in the US. So it's like it's you know a, an average TV show on on the BBC could be considered to be a feature film. And yeah, this one it was funded by the BBC and ended up in cinemas. It was also funded by Manga Entertainment, and I think that's where getting it into the cinemas really kind of helped because Manga Entertainment were on the up at the time, both with their video, with their publishing lines and they were making a name for themselves i've also remembered um what the technology is called with the stop motion for live action it's pixelation Mm. nothing to do with computers but that's what it is so tom thumb and a lot of the creatures are stop motion and the live action component is done by the technology called pixelation um the other main film i can think of where you see quite a bit of it is uh the wizard of speed and time one of my absolute favorite films that never left the 80s and only exists now via bootlegs and YouTube because of crazy right stuff. But that's joyous and lighthearted. This is sinister. The 10-minute short was originally commissioned to go out at Christmas on BBC Two. And the BBC saw the finished product and went, man, we thought EastEnders was dark. This is just, no, this is too weird. But critical acclaim meant the BBC went, well, okay, too dark for BBC Two Christmas. But let's see if we can do something a bit longer. And that's where we ended up. I genuinely don't want to spoil it because I want to encourage people to go and watch it. Because also, it's short, it's not going to take up much of your time, and it's out there and available relatively for free. I'm hoping at some point we might get a nice HD restoration because I can only imagine how beautiful it would look at 1080 or 4K. And Take That Babe is uh, top of the pops currently. Uh, Only for one week, though, because uh, Blobby 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 will be back next week. This is not a Take That song that I think is like part of their sort of... It's not one of the classics that people will go back to of this era of Take That, I don't think. And it was an original song by Gary Barlow, although he didn't sing lead vocals. It was Mark Owen on lead vocals. The other thing, apart from the fact that it basically got bumped off by Noel Edmonds like kind of oversized Tom Thumb love child for want of a better expression or (laughs) for want of a better explanation but because in addition to being in the charts it was also featured in the only fools and horses episode that we talked about on our previous Christmas episode although it aired on the 25th of December which was the same day that it was knocked off the charts by blobbity blobbity blob oh yeah blobby 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 can't stop him It's definitely not what I would call classic take that, but it's also slightly unusual lyrically because it's not as saccharine as you would expect. It's a little bit darker and critics actually commented on it, saying that there's almost a gothic sensibility to it. I couldn't comment on that. Like I I listened Mm. to it and I'm like, eh, take that. I mean, if you want to talk about that song, if you want to talk about gothic sensibility, we've just had seven weeks of meatloaf. You know, not much is going to feel gothic after that because that was total gothic. But despite its brief run at the top of the charts, it still got certified platinum for selling over 600,000 copies in the UK. It's not the last we're going to see a take that. 
it's really not no and like and i think that actually just shows you the power the blobby had on the uk at that point if you're selling you know six hundred thousand copies of your single but blobby takes you back over again big pig prick that he is then like i mean that is like there's the hold that he had uh, across this country we've only got one new game to talk about this week that was worth noting but i just found it interesting because it's river city ransom getting released on the turbo graphics cd and i was like huh you know this 8-bit nes game getting ported over to the turbo graphics cd i wonder what sort of graphical upgrade that it had so when i go and check it out turns out none really is the answer it's got a slight upgrade to it but it basically looks like the exact same game there's a lot of turbo graphics games like that where the main thing they gain is they might get an animated intro and they'll get that bit of a sexy cd soundtrack which i'm not gonna lie not a bad thing to have for river city ransom you know to have a bit of a an oomphier soundtrack and there's a lot of games that the soundtrack upgrade of a cd format will make a world of difference to snatcher is a great example mm obviously started as a disc-based game and then got upgraded to CD, both the Turbo Graphics and PC Engine CD and the Mega CD and then the PlayStation. But what that can do, particularly looking back at it now, is it can kind of lift it up. Because if you look at it next to some modern indie games, which have luscious full digital audio, but a pixelated graphics style, Shovel Knight being a great example recently, or something like Undertale, it means that actually it ages far more gracefully than the original version. I've only played the NES version, but that doesn't mean I might not see if I can track this down somewhere, not least of which because every so often I look at my Amazon wish list and that PC Engine Mini is still there, uh, still available now. Yeah. Occasionally it comes back into stock, which is surprising. And I know I don't need a mini console to play this game under emulation but you know what they look so cool yeah and it does look really nice as well actually uh in fairness to it and like i actually i think the comparison to some like a, a modern day indie title is quite apt it's uh, yeah, it's, it's it looks pretty nice and as i said like, i only wanted to bring it up a because you know it's interesting that it hasn't had much of a graphical upgrade but also b because it's got some history with games master as a review that we had back in series one i think it was where they essentially absolutely shat upon the game for it not being very good. And it being one of those reviews that I do not think has held up in, in Games Master's lifespan. Enough of that, enough of that. Right, we're going to take a break from the normal proceedings, i.e. we're not going to have the team championships this week. This week, we've got three very special teams of celebrity Panto stars. They're going to come in and play some challenges for us. They're going to be battling it out for the famous Games Master Golden Joystick. Hey! Well, it is the Christmas episode of the show, which means we open with some fun Panto uh, shenanigans. It's actually, I, I opened the show by saying it's team championships question mark because we are in the team championship setting. This is a team championships format. But as Dex just said in the clip there, we're taking a break from the Deem Championships because it's a celebrity special, essentially, of Panto celebrities who are all going to be competing for a joystick. But there's also a celebrity challenge. Yes, it is. I mean, we, wanted, you know, we talked about Series 3, the second half of Series 3, the Team Championships, being a mad rush of an episode. You know, like it's 23 minutes long and there's actually 40 minutes worth of content within each one. This episode is so, so mad dash. 
I, it probably didn't need that extra celebrity challenge in there other than the format dictated there to be one. Because as you say, like the whole thing is a celebrity challenge. There's so much ADR in this episode where they have had to bring Dex or Dave in to try and fix and just like, can you record this one thing? Because that will be three seconds as opposed to the six seconds that we had previously. And we really need to trim off those three seconds. Otherwise, we cannot get this episode into the 22-minute formats. And that annoys me because if they could do it for this episode, why couldn't they fix some of the other <laughs> shit we picked up on? <laughs> but also, given it is a Christmas special, don't you think Channel 4 could have given them an extra 25? Oh, yeah, totally. We could have had a double-length episode. They could have therefore made a bigger thing of the review. I mean, we'll, we'll get to it, but I will say off the bat that for all its many failings, and this episode has a lot of failings, I cannot remember the last time I grinned so much through an episode of Games Master because it was just so stupid. It's not an episode of games playing absolutely far from it and i you know i would probably say that it's be just some of the three shitties, actually four shitties challenges we've probably had on games master thus far but it is it is hilariously rubbish in a way it's a panto special and this has got the ethos of i think the best kind of panto it's not too polished but it's not completely falling apart there's flubbed lines there's missed opportunities but there's kind of a warmth and chaos to it and there's moments in it where things just go completely off the rails and Dex has no control of what's going on around him. But it doesn't throw him. Mm. He just I... rolls with it. And to skip ahead to the end of the episode, <laughs> I think this is probably one of the most essential bits of viewing from season three without it being about the games playing. Because this is, again, something that I don't think we will ever see again on Games Master. This level of no. utter throw everything out there and just go... <laughs> Yes, I'm King of the Rats and I hate all cats and I'm down at Croydon. Right, okay, thank you very much, King of the Rats. And my name's Chase and I ain't Mary and I'm in Croydon playing the fairy. Whoa, lovely. My name's Jack, I don't take no flat, but I'm happy to be on Game Master. <laughs> Move on to meet the Aladdin lot. The Aladdin lot from Woking. Step outside. We want to meet you. Here they come. So, are you all right in there? Bit smoking. Well, yeah, bit smoking. Smoke. Could you tell us your name, please? Abanaza. And I'm Princess Balrubador. Oh, nice to meet you, Princess. Yes, well, very nice to meet you. Thank you very much for coming. Oh, thank you. Sorry, Andrew. Aladdin. Aladdin himself. I am Aladdin. Okay, then well, let's have a big cheer for the Aladdin team. <laughs> Tell us your name. I am King Rat. Boo, hiss, boo. Boo, that's a bit more like it. Thank you very much. Get in the pant, no spirit. You got it. Sorry, sir. Your name? I'm Richard Whittington. And I'm the captain of the ship. You are the captain. Oh, yes, I am the captain of the ship. Right, yeah. And where are you appearing, chaps? Uh, we're appearing to bar. Very good. In Dick Whittington. And the carnage kind of like already kicks off from the get go because we meet our teams and two of the teams are essentially the same. We introduced to team one, Dick Croydon, and we've got King of Rats, we've got Chase, we've got Jack from your uh, home base of Croydon. But then we meet Team 3, which is Dick Bath, and it's got King Rat, Rich, uh, Dick Whittington, and the captain of the ship. You've got some of the same characters already there. And then Team 2 is Aladdin from Woking. Now, as we go through and we meet the teams, I will be able to fill in pretty much all of the names because, you know me, Luke, I do like my research, and I found a complete archive of pantomime flyers so I went to 1993, 
and I went through all of the flyers until I found each one. I didn't need it for all the people because there were some very, very recognizable faces and names in this. But also, I will say, not going to go into it too much, we dodged some bullets <laughs> on yeah. this Panto special because there are a lot of names in pantomime in 1993 that we will not want to go near with a bloody barge pole. No. No. Yeah, this could have been a very messy episode otherwise. Um, but yeah, I mean, are there any names that you want to uh, point out to us from our, our six players that we've got here? Sorry, um, yeah, nine players, in fact. Well, we'll start at the top. First of all, it is, as you said, Team Dick, or, you know, the Kronk Stick from Croydon. And first up, King of the Rats, a guy who's virtually never out of character in this entire episode. It's John Altman, but better known to most of us as Nasty Nick, Nick Cotton estranged son of Dot, and he is clearly having a whale of a time playing this up. Now, you mentioned Chase the Fairy. Do you know who Chase the Fairy is? Actually, do you know what? There was a lot of people in here that I, I, I would say a lot. I don't think I recognised anyone. Like, there were probably, like, faces that would be like, that looks familiar, but I wouldn't have known their name. I reckon you might be kicking yourselves on a couple of these, although Chase won't be one of them. Uh, Chase was Lorraine Chase. I most know her from Blankety Blank. She was a mainstay on the Les Dawson era of Blankety Blank. And it was incredible timing of the night before I watched this to take notes. They've started to show the Les Dawson Blankety Blank era on Challenge, and it's on the TiVo. So <laughs> there's just a bank of episodes. Picked one, hit play. Who's there? Lorraine Chase. And she's, she's proper East End Cockney apples and pears to the point where when she's doing the blankety-blank thing, sometimes she'll just write the rhyming slang or draw it more accurately. As an aside, and one thing I've learned from watching a lot of that era of blankety-blank, literacy has come a long way in the past 30 to 40 years because I watched an entire panel of nine people on blankety-blank the other day None of them could spell the word piranha. I mean, in fairness, I think I would struggle with that one. And, and I've seen piranha. I've seen quite a few of the piranha films. But, you know... You'd probably get like vital things like N's and A's. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. Chase Blesser just drew a fish with lots of teeth and went, it's piranha, in it? <laughs> it's not wrong. I was overjoyed to see her here. But lastly up, we've got Jack. He doesn't take no flack because it's worth saying for the Kronks team, they're all rhyming and rapping, which is <laughs> amazing. But yeah, last up is Jack. He doesn't take no flack, but he's happy to be here on Games Master. And I put... Of course you are, mate. <laughs> yeah, no idea. No. But he's Mike Doyle. Don't know much about him. But we missed out because you know who else was in this version of Dick Whittington? Who? Cheryl Baker. Really? Cheryl was Dick. <laughs> she was clearly above their budget line. I do wonder if the Panto saw a ticket boost off being on Games Master. I mean... I would wager not. Uh, I, 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 I highly doubt it. I mean, there's a... I might have... Not, not for the Croydon one, but I might have bought a ticket from the other one based on what else I was watching that these people were in. Because the next team is the Aladdin team from Woking. And first off, you've got Abanaza, who's played by Ray Mir, who I think is a former home and away actor, because I'm fairly certain there's a reference to, the fact, to that fact later in the episode. I don't know much about him. He's one of my favourite things on this episode, though. He's, he's vamping it up. He's having, he's having a lot of fun. He's doesn't know why he's having a lot of fun, but he's throwing himself into it. And that's the Panto yeah. spirit. Exactly. He just basically is like, I am the baddie, so I'm just going to play the baddie in everything that I do. And if you've got a question to ask me, I'm just going to give you a baddie answer. He's method. He's full method. 
also got Princess Belle Rubador. I think that's what I wrote down. Yeah, I've got Princess Rubador. So yeah, it must have been it's something along those lines. I mean, Rubador, it sounds a bit filthy, so it's probably that because it's Panto. But she was Alison Young. I couldn't find much about. There's a lot of people out there called Alison Young that are actresses, but I think she was American. There was a definite okay. twinge to the accent there. Lastly, we've got Aladdin, who insists that he is Aladdin. His name's Graham Bickley. That's that's who he is. Cool. Bit more interesting is the other dicks. Dick Bath. Yeah, the Dick Bath. It's what they're called when they're doing the score. It just says Dick Bath. The, the bed bath, the Dick Bath, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> First up, we've got another King Rat, but Luke, that's not King Rat. That's Gus Hedges from Drop the Dead Donkey. And my note on this, as soon as he appeared on screen, I wrote in all caps, <laughs> holy shit, it's Gus from Drop the Dead Donkey. Drop the Dead Donkey is a show that I... I know of like I was probably I was a bit too young for it. So like by the time that I think I was watching it, I think it was like right at the end of its run. But it's a name that I recognize, but I couldn't tell you a show that I watched. I know that I've watched it, but I cannot tell you much about it, which is probably why is he was not a face that I, again, that's what I said. Like it's a face that I was like, I I know I have seen that before, but do not know who it is. I mean, the name of the actor just says is Robert Duncan. I've immediately queued up to watch some Drop the Dead Donkey over the next couple of days because that is a show that I got a lot of my kind of, I guess, humorous observations of my teenage years because I was brought up on things like The Goons and Hancock's Half Hour and early Billy Connolly. And then in the 90s, I started to get more aware of current affairs humor. Drop the Dead Donkey, early have I got news for you. Not the nine o'clock news, things like that. Ben Elton, stuff like that. Yeah. Drop the Dead Donkey, of all the comedy shows that I watched in that period moving forward, is the one I wish they would do a reboot of. Because that kind of politically news-motivated sitcom where they've got a framework, but usually they were writing the episode right up until filming, and it was filmed on like the Wednesday and then went out on the Thursday. So like any of the outside broadcast stuff would obviously like that was just the general kind of sitcom premise of that episode would obviously be filmed in advance. All the studio stuff was done, boom, so last minute. Uh, Andy Hamilton wrote a lot of it, who is another person that turns up a lot on Have I Got News For You. Oh man, particularly over the past four years with the various news-related incidents and a certain, you know, wrinkled anus-faced orange satsuma that's no longer in a position of power. I, I just spent so many evenings reading the news and going... Man, I miss Drop the Dead Donkey. If I'd have seen them Drop the Dead Donkey, I would not have been in tune with with what uh, political and current affairs would have been. So the humor probably would have been quite lost on me. But it is all on all four, I think, at the moment. So it, it's probably quite. E- I mean, it's it's very easy to kind of like track down and watch here in the UK. Absolutely, and I and if they're showing the correct versions, like the home release versions. They do actually have a little caption at the beginning with a voiceover saying, this episode was shown on 1994 in the week that this happened, this happened, and something happened in the goal. So you don't go into the episode completely unknowing as to what's going on. They give you a bit of a frame of reference, which is nice. I I think Mm. there's a lot of shows that are topical that could really do with that. But with Gus, King of the Rats, he may set himself up as Dick Whittington, but to me... He looked more like Robin, an associate of Maid Marian and her merry men. I'm, I've got to be honest with you, I didn't watch the show. I didn't watch Maid Marian. Do you know what? There isn't that often when the few years between us show, and I think this is one of those ones because, I mean, there is a name that if I saw him in Panto, 
I would at that point go, I want to go. I want to, I want to go. I want to go see this panto because that's Megging Robin. That's, that's, that's Maid Marion. His name's Wayne Morris. He's still out there and acting today. Also appeared in the music video for The Cat's Tongue Tight in the hmm. kind of, when they released it as a single and they did the video EP. He's in that uh, playing a, a smarmy producer, which he's very good at doing smarmy. And lastly, they're joined by the captain of the ship. I don't know who he is. I've got a name, but he is who he is. Maybe I made notes later that reveal, but my notes at this point just say, no fucking clue who he is. Don't care because I've got Gus and Robin. I don't care. Yeah, Maid Marian was not a show that was on my register. Like it would, it would have been on, but like I've I've never been a Robin Hood kid anyway. My like the only Robin Hood I've ever really enjoyed outside of Men in Tights is the Disney one. So like, and I love Tony Robinson, but like it's it was never a show that was on my radar. Uh, and also, like I don't think I've ever seen Dick Whittington either. Like of all the pantos that they've done, like the pantos at the Reading Hexagon, Aladdin and Jack and the Beanstalk and Cinderella and a few others. But I don't think I ever saw a Dick Whittington. I'm not sure I ever saw a Dick Whittington panto. I've seen many Aladdins. I've seen a few Peter Pans. I've seen a couple of Jack and the Beanstalks. My first big panto was Jack and the Beanstalk, basically starring the cast of the Russ Abbott show. And that was at the Birmingham Hippodrome. And I've still got the program downstairs. It was kept in the same folder as my program from the Muppet Show Live that I also went to around that time. Also, I think, at the Birmingham Hippodrome or Bristol or somewhere around there. I've also been in a Jack and the Beanstalk production at school. I was was one of the narrators. Yeah, I think I've told the story uh, recently. I was nearly in uh, a Cinderella panto couple of years ago but i had to turn it down because i had i was i was in a band at the time and i basically i could not commit to doing that and doing band practice so i was like i i, I had to drive there because it was in newbury and i was like i'm gonna have to pull out of this but i was nearly buttons and i was going to sing on that uh the ghostbusters theme um and it was the replacing the lyrics with who are you gonna call call buttons i wish you'd done that because no sarcasm or anything You'd be a great buttons. That's why I, I know that's what director wanted to give me the part. And actually, once I turned it down, they cut the song from it. And I know because I went to go and see it because my mate was in it. And they were like, they were like, yeah, to be honest, the other guy that was doing it was not, it was not as enthusiastic about doing the Ghostbusters song. But Ooh. thank you very much. I would, I'd, have really, I'd have actually had a really nice time doing it. And I'm, I'm guessing that I didn't do it in the end. It's one of those crazy things of I have no aspirations to like kind of be an actor or do any of that. But if someone turned around and said, do you want to do some panto? I'd be like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely can we sneak in an innuendo that will go over the kid's head i hope so because that's half of the point of panto my probably biggest scale panto i've seen was when ian mckellen uh dusted off his widow twanky for aladdin it was an amazing pantomime it was a really brilliant production dear lord the <laughs> filth <laughs> as uh, ian mckellen as the panto dame telling the two police officers that they can drop their trousers anytime they like. She's ready for a heavy load. And I'm just like, <laughs> bloody hell. They're a t- the best thing is you've got all these parents going, <laughs> because if they laugh, the kids will want to know why. That's the yeah. best kind of panto joke. I was just actually just going through uh, the, the panto archive, going through the 1993 flyers, because I'm just thinking like, you know, what would have been the one that I went to? And I was just looking through, and actually there is a production of Aladdin and it's got Jet from Gladiators in it. And I did go and see Jet from Gladiators in Aladdin 
And so it, I, I said previously it was 1992, but it must have been 1993, which actually, thinking about it, makes, makes way more sense because I would have loved the uh, Disney movie that would have come out just the month previous. And it also starred the Crankies. I had that flyer up there on my other screen because I was just going to say, the one thing you can also say about 1993 Pantos, they are lousy with gladiators. <laughs> Some yeah. of them have multiple gladiators. I think Saracen and Falcon were in the same yeah. Panto. Oh, dude, this has got Cobra in it, but I, I would not have told you that Cobra was in this play. I'd have told you the Jet was, but certainly not Cobra. Can we throw the link to this Panto archive in the show notes? Because this is... <laughs> It's amazing to look through all the flyers and see some of the names and some of the people and some of the casts. And it really shows how then and to a lesser degree now, some people make jokes that pantomime, it's kind of like, oh, career's on the wane, you know, reduced to panto. No, there is a pride to being in panto. Bar the problematic pantos, going through this archive and seeing some of these pantos, and I was just like, Oh, I wish I could have gone and seen this. And then I see that like my home theatre, Chooksbury, is in this panto archive because they don't just do the big places. They they go right down to the smaller places. So rural Gloucestershire is covered. Maybe we can do a panto episode. Maybe we can find a television panto at some point because there's there's a joy to it. I mean, there was that challenge Annika that we uh, nearly did for the Christmas um, Patreon episode, which was her putting on a panto. So there is every chance that like the panto season could come around again. I was just scanning through all of these then. And this one uh, just jumped out to me. I was just scrolling through. It's at the Princess Theatre in Torquay. It's a production of Peter Pan starring Daniela Westbrook, Colin Baker, and Super Mario. I mean, Daniela Westbrook is Peter Pan, obviously. Mm -hmm. Colin Baker, such a boisterous character, would have to. I mean, you wouldn't put him as Tinkerbell. Would you, really? No, no. No, he's there as, uh, as Captain Hook. How stoned does Mario look in this poster? What's going <laughs> on? It, I mean, there's lots of stars around, and I can only guess that that's some of the stardust that he's been huffing because he, he literally looks like he's been doing something with a pipe. I'm not quite <laughs> sure what. But I've got to assume it's a mascot suit. Oh, it has to be, yeah. 100% here it is. But I do like that it's Super Mario. And then small, it just says, from the Super Mario Brothers games. Poor Cedric Monarch as Smee is credited below <laughs> a mascot suit. Now, that's someone that their career is on the downward spiral. <laughs> it's like Daniela Westbrook and Colin Baker. That's fine. Also, wow, that is a very copyright infringing drawing of Peter Pan. Isn't it just? Isn't it just? That's traced from a colouring book. Frankly, there was another one with Super Mario in and Barnsley uh, doing Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Cool, that must have been a hell of a taxi ride back and forth every day. <laughs> right, anyway, that's enough uh, panto chat, I suppose, for now. We're not going to get away from it. It's all the way through <laughs> this episode. <laughs> but let's dive into our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? I've selected cartoon favourite Yogi Bear for the Super Nintendo. Our contestants have one life and 45 seconds to direct as many clocks as possible while guiding Yogi through the slippery, snow-covered landscape of Jellystone Park. I'll award five points to the team which collects the most clocks. Two to the runners-up and zero to the losers. Oh, oh, right. So this is why Gamesmaster hates platforming games in all of their reviews. It's because 
it's shit like this basically it's yogi bear on the snares and it's like collect as many clocks as possible because i mean when i think of yogi bear do you know what i'm thinking of ash is it clocks it's it's always clocks it's the one thing i would associate with his character more than anything else i'm somewhat confused by this game because i looked it up as i normally do and because this is the snes version and it says that this was released on october the 1st 1994 in north america and later in europe and japan so what the hell are we looking at here because this doesn't look like a 10 month or more early pre-production version it could just be that they had it and just didn't release it and just basically just sort of sat on it and you know uh, and they just sort of planned for it to come out uh, uh, in 94 slash 95 because if anything was going to make this game improve it was being sat on a shelf for a year because it's on it does look like shovelware shit. <gasps> i've just double checked with a backup resource with chris scully and snes encyclopedia that's also got it listed as a uh, release for 1994. Uh, it was published by Cybersoft. It was developed by Empire Software. And the fact that we've got in the book is the closing credits end with the message, thank you for playing, followed <laughs> by have fun, which seems tad belated by that point. <laughs> yeah, this doesn't have the aura of a game that had a heck of a lot of um, effort put into it. The animation's not bad, you know, but like watching these people play this game it looks like it's an absolute bugger to play because it looks like it handles like ass. It does. And would you believe it? There's an actual plot to this, Luke. There is a, <laughs> there is a plot and it's got an eco bent to it because Yogi is running around trying to save his home, Jellystone Park, from being turned into a chemical dumping zone by industrial developers. <laughs> I suppose maybe actually of all the Hanna-Barbera cartoons, it's one of the ones that makes the most sense to do an ecological storyline. But that actually feels a little bit ahead of its time. That feels like something they'd do with Yogi Bear now. Yeah, it doesn't look particularly great. Can I just give you a, just a, a slight bit of a, an update on the Panto situation? Please do. I found my flyer. I found the Reading Hexagon uh, production of Aladdin. It was actually 1994 with Jet from Gladiators in it, which is probably why I don't remember Cobra being in it. Also starring Dennis Waterman. That must have been so good for you. <laughs> yeah. But Jet was there and that's all I really cared about, to be honest. I want to believe that Dennis Waterman wrote a song and sang a song. <laughs> Back to Yogi Bear, because I can't believe Back you diverted us from Yogi Bear. Hilariously, given where this challenge goes, when GamePro reviewed it, they commented that it was too easy and simplistic to appeal to experienced <laughs> gamers, but that its pleasant atmosphere and lush graphics would make it enjoyable for novice players. So the game is Yogi Bear. With me is the Archangel, Dave Perry himself, the game guru. Doesn't he look lovely? Give us a twirl, Dave. Oh, you're just flapping my wings. Go on, give him a cheer. <laughs> Do you look lovely? We got Robert up first from Dick Whittington of Bath. How well is he going to do at Yogi? Have we got any idea whatsoever? Well, Robert is playing King Rat. He's a nasty player. Apparently, Dave Perry is our archangel for this week, and he is introduced as the games guru, Dave Perry. Ooh, I can feel I can feel Larry getting irate. <laughs> Although, fair f**ks to Dave. He's wearing his bandana and a halo and an angel gown and wings. He has got into the spirit of this. And I will say that we're only a few episodes into this kind of 2.5 version of Games Master, but this is Dave Perry being super comfortable, animated, and a bit cheeky. 
he he has some lines and some zingers and he has some fun. And again, I spent so much of this episode smiling or laughing for so many reasons. Some of Dave's antics were definitely the cause of that. Well, uh, Robert from Dick Bath is up first. And like there's right at the start of the game, or right at the start of the level, uh, you can basically walk along and then you make a jump as a platform. And that platform has got a buttload of clocks, which is what we're after in this challenge. There are so many clocks. He does not get that jump whatsoever and just falls straight down. He picks up some clocks. But what I particularly like about the way that Robert played this game is that he could just run and pick up the clocks. But he stops in front of a clock and he presses jump to jump into each of the clocks. So you watch him jump, and he stops, picks up a clock, then jumps, picks up a clock, then jumps and picks up a clock where he could have just run straight through it. And he gets 16. He probably could have got way more. But it was at this point watching it, I suddenly realized Dave has lost his voice. Dave sounds so hoarse throughout this episode, which makes me feel like this was done very late in a taping schedule. Challenge is to collect clocks, don't forget. Joe can kill all the bad guys by jumping on their head. His energy bar is in the bottom right-hand side of the screen. It's that cake. Every time he gets hit by a bad guy, he loses a slice of cake. because he is hoarse as heck through all of this. It probably also would suddenly explain why he's gone from like puttering along at 30 miles an hour to, you know, being super Dave, really commanding the stage in front of him and and having a lot of fun. But yeah, his voice is shot. On Robert, I will say that just as they cut to him as they're introducing him, he mouths at the camera something along the lines of, I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we find out later that um, Aladdin from Woking has been like hogging the machine during practice. Uh, Whenever Dave says that they were actually playing the game during practice, I would wager they were the only people who were actually playing during practice. The look of concentration on Robert's face is absolute throughout this. He's even got the little tongue stuck out the side (laughs) of his mouth. And I don't think it's acting. I think this is genuine, (laughs) fierce concentration. And you mentioned the jump. And one of my notes on this was he jumps all the time apart from when he needs to jump. Yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. Jumping is definitely a theme in this episode as we go down the challenges, <laughs> and it only gets better or worse from here on in. Wait till we get to Alfred Chicken. Oh, Alfred Chicken. <laughs> Next up is Lorraine, she's playing food by Bella Croydon. Dave, do we know anything about her skills as a computer game player? No, but we do know that when she turned up, she had nicer wings than me on her costumes. We've made her leave them outside, but we're hoping she's still going to work some magic on this game. <laughs> she, she doesn't want her wings plucked, but good luck to you anyway, Lorraine. I quite like the sort of the banter that they have, where she essentially hears what he's saying. And even though there is not a mic near her, not with it, an arse's roar of her, she is just going to shout because she is just, I'm going to say something here. I see an opening. I'm going to take it. I reckon the real reason they confiscated the wings is because of the clearance on the doors, because she's a proper panto fairy. There's no way that proper panto wings are getting through that door or with that crowd. Those kids are already fairly rowdy and picking at the costumes. We have some of that later, a bit argy-bargy. Her wings wouldn't stand a chance. No, she wouldn't have had them by the end of the day. But she... She does way better than Richard does. She is already like on par to to smash his score. And then she just starts taking a load of hits. And you realize when playing Yogi Bear that you don't get iframes. You take a hit, you can just take another hit. So if you take it, if you get caught between a couple of people, you can just sort of bounce around them. 
She takes a bunch of hits and then she dies with 13 clocks. And 13 seconds left on the clock as well. (laughs) Nicely poetic. With some iframes, she may have done better here because at least she would have been able to recover from taking some of the hits. Next up is Graham. He's playing a lead in at Woking. Dave, has he got a chance? Well, Graham's quite a good games player. He was hogging the machine in practice and we're hoping he's going to show us some real genius. But last up is our Aladdin, Graham. And as you said earlier, apparently he was hogging the console during practice. So we'll see how he does. But Dave hopes he's going to show some real genius. Eh? Uh? That's pure panto. Not bad at all. Not good either. (laughs) And you can tell, actually, that he has been hogging this machine because he knows a little secret, which is if you just go backwards, there's eight clocks there. So he picks up those eight, then he carries on. But then he encounters some weasels. And this is basically where Graham's challenge comes undone because he just bounces between these weasels like nobody's business. Um, He gets the four to go ahead of Lorraine, which is what he needed, and ends his challenge with 14 clocks. No real spectacular gameplay in that challenge, was there, Luke? No, not from anyone, no. No, but I mean, Grant, it's not a great game anyway. I can't say that because I've not played it, but not a great looking game. I mean, and they actually say this a lot on commentary throughout this episode. These are not games players they would not survive the Games Master Academy. I mean, maybe this is appropriate for Christmas because around this time is the time when kids are getting Mega Drives or Super Nintendos or whatever. And there's always that risk when people come over at Christmas and your grandparents or your aunt or uncles are there and they'll go, I'll have a go at that Space Invaders, pointing at Sonic the Hedgehog, and this is what you would get. Mm -hmm. It just makes it all the more Christmassy, really. But let's find out the scores. What are they, Dex? Okay, the Dick Whittingtons from Croydon. Well, they didn't do too well, so they got zero on that last challenge. The Aladdins, well, they came in the second position, so they get two points. But the Dick Whittingtons from Bath are in the lead at the moment with a massive five points. Oh, goose eggs for the Cronk's dicks. No, not looking good for Cronk's dicks. But Dick Bath, they're having a whale of a time up with five points, and Aladdin is on two. I mean, there's always fun to be had with a Dick Bath. Hey. Absolutely, yeah. Whatever floats your boat, as long as it doesn't sink your ship. Nope, that takes us too far out of the PG category. I'm just going to leave that where it lies. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Nah. <laughs> oh dear. A list of great games in 1993 can't go without Street Fighter 2 in it. The Mega Drive conversion is the best of the bundle, and Super Nintendo owners should be more than happy with their Turbo Edition. It's the best beat-em-up there is, and everyone should have a copy. Well, apart from the obvious Street Fighter 2, my favourite sports game of the year is FIFA Soccer. It's brand new, but it is brilliant. My choice for 93 would be Zombies on the Super Nintendo. Why it appeals to me so much, I'm not sure. At first glance, it appears to be just another run-of-the-mill overhead shoot-em-up but play for a while and you'll realise it's full of 50s B-movie tackiness. Bullfrog Syndicate on the Amiga gets my vote for one of the best games in 1993. It's incredible gameplay combined with an amazing 3D effect. It's just seconds and on. My choices for 93 best games for Christmas would be Sensible Soccer for the Mega Drive, long-awaited conversion, a brilliant game. Also, Claymates and Clay Fighters for the SNES. Unusual ones, I suppose, but superb characters and great action. Lot of laughs. But it's the review section... But it's not the review section because, realistically, there isn't much they could actually review for Christmas week. They've already done what they need to do to sell games for Christmas. So we get a bit of a retrospective. And also, 
a few bloopers and outtakes, which I did like. You're right. We do get some like outtakes at the start of this with them all. You know, you see um, Paul Rose being like, no, nope, forgot what I was going to say. And, you know, it's, it's quite funny. It's almost like Brady Bunch style uh, camera thing. And then you basically just get each of these people picking a game, being like, this is my game of the year. A lot of them don't really have anything much to say about it. They'll just go, this is the game I've picked. It's grand, isn't it? And it just cuts to the next person. And we there's like there's a fair number of them. There's what, like six of these? We certainly cracked through some games. And I will say, I don't think there are any games here that really surprise me. Most of them are fairly standard. We start off with Steve Merritt, who clearly drew the long straw because he gets the easy pick. He's just like Street Fighter 2. Special champ, turbo, sorted, mint. That's it. Yeah. Steve puts over that the uh, Mega Drive version, the, the special champ edition is the best one, which I, I mean, it's basically the same as turbo, really, just with uh, with a few more bells and whistles, I guess. But he get, yeah, just says everyone should have a copy. Seems absolutely fair enough. No arguments. Mr. Grinch, Jazz Rignall is up next, and he also puts the nod in for Street Fighter, clearly slightly annoyed that he didn't get the easy choice, but then just plumps and goes FIFA. And again... Absolutely fair. No reason not to pick it. Up next is the one that both slightly surprises me and delights me because it's Paul Rose, Mr. Biffo, who has only been on the show twice, this being his second appearance. And his pick is Zombies Ate My Neighbours on the SNES. He bigs up some of its unique selling points. Yes, it does just look like your standard top-down shooter, but it's full of 50s kitsch and horror movie tropes and B-movie tropes and the genre, and it, it just makes it such a delight to play it. And it is a game that the more you invest into it and the further you get, the more it gives back. And I love that it's there, but it's also one of the games that, bar the sequel that they did, uh, Ghoul Patrol, I think, was the, the sequel, it's not really been like serialized, not like FIFA, not like Street Fighter, where we're currently at Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo HD Remix Championship Motion Sickness Edition or whatever got released on the Switch. How can you charge 30 quid for a Street Fighter 2 at this point? I don't know, but we'll leave it. But also FIFA, we've discussed FIFA just becomes its mainstay, but Zombies, Zombies stands mostly alone. And I think why Zombies kind of like like stands out from this pack is that a lot of the games that get featured in this are games that we've talked about a lot. Talked a hell of a lot about Street Fighter. You know, it featured quite a bit in Series 2. It, it's featured a hell of a lot in Series 3 because like beat them up so they're sort of the flavor of the month. FIFA, we have seen it been reviewed. We have seen it uh, as a tournament that is sort of currently, you know, it, it's ongoing. Well, it's, it's actually finished now on uh, Games Master in Series 3. Um, you know, later on, there's Sensible Soccer, which has been talked about a lot when it was on the Amiga and it got reviewed on the Mega Drive. But Zombies Ate My Neighbors hasn't been, like, as featured on Games Master. You know, it got reviewed, but that's it. We haven't seen, like, it in the consultation zone. We haven't seen challenges based on it. And it's kind of the same for syndicates that we get next from Andy Nuttall at Games Master Magazine. Like the first mention of Syndicate was actually in an episode a couple of weeks ago where it was in the consultation zone and it was that little girl and we both said like, man, that little girl should not be playing Syndicate. Syndicate didn't surprise me as a choice just because at that time, okay, you had cannon fodder, but Syndicate was just, it felt really like something different. Now, after Syndicate, we've got Joss Bilson. Yeah, making his uh, Games Master debut. Who chooses... Sensible Soccer on the Mega Drive. No surprise there. And then also chooses Claymates and Clay Fighter on the SNES. This didn't surprise me 
not because I think they deserve to be in the best of 1993, but purely because one of those poor bastards was going to have to do the corporate shill because we already know that there was some money going in with Clay Fighter because of its use on the Gladiators Challenge earlier in the year. It was a big promoted title for them. And so that was the obvious reason to include Claymate and Clay Fighter because, yeah, they paid for that spot. So someone's going to have to do the shill. So while I wasn't expecting those particular titles, I was expecting there to be a bit of, here is a game we have heavily promoted throughout this show and probably received some money for. Yeah, and it really does feel, it does really feel like AN and also there's this because his pick is Sensible Soccer. But unlike everyone else, he also gets to be, I'd also probably recommend Claymates and Clay Fighter. You know, they're good and they've got a lot of laughs in them. It doesn't feel particularly convincing. It's interesting because Claymates hasn't featured on Games Master at all. Obviously, we saw a lot of Clay Fighter, but yeah, this is our first appearance of Claymates. One last thing on Clay Fighter. Guess what, Luke? Was there going to be a Jaguar port? There was. And guess what, Luke? It did not come out. It did not come out. Happy Christmas. We are joined today by a man who is the co-creator of the legendary teletext pages known as Digitizer. He's the creator of the website Digitizer 2000, Mr. Biffo's found footage, Digitizer the show, Digitizer the YouTube channel, co-creator of Almost Never, writer of the Four O'Clock Club, My Parents Are Aliens, Pudsey the Movie, and the man that managed to get Dirty Den to say a four-letter word on EastEnders. We're joined by Paul Rose, aka Mr. Biffo. Thank you for joining us today. It is my pleasure. Thank you for uh, mentioning my two most shameful moments, Pudsey the Dog movie <laughs> and getting Dirty Den to swear. Is that really, I mean, I'm talking about the Dirty Den bit here, but is that really a shameful moment or is that just the ultimate getting one over on the pre-watershed? It's one of those things that as I've got older, I'm a little bit embarrassed about. <laughs> it's, you know, I've done a lot of things, trust me, in my time that, that, People kind of hold up as, yay, you know, he's a bit of a hero. He did the, he did, and, but they're always the sort of really puerile things. So uh, the Dirty Den might, no, I mean, you know, there's part of it that kind of goes, yay, you know, stick it to the man. But I, I put it in the script thinking they're going to take it out. It's going to, this is never going to last. And then Leslie Grantham pronounced the word constables perfectly as, as art intended. Uh, and at no point did anyone there pick it up. But hey ho. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's an actor that is amazingly in tune with a writer, reading it and knowing exactly what you meant. Yes, which is a miracle, given that he had the acting range of a plank, but that's <laughs> <laughs> fine, you can say that, he's dead now. I'll be honest, I think you could have said it when he was alive and no one would have necessarily objected <laughs> no. or, or disagreed. <laughs> So to skip forward a little bit, we're kind of approaching the tail end of 1993. And this is around the time that you make your debut in the review zone on Games Master. How did you suddenly find yourself on screen doing reviews for Games Master? Oh, God. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't entirely know. They might have approached us 
Um, I'm pretty sure we didn't go to them, so we should be on there. I don't think either of us, Tim or I, were, were ever that forward. We did a, at some point, maybe it came afterwards, we did have a, a tie-up with Games Master where we would have a kind of proto-chat room on Digitizer where people could send us messages and we'd put them up on screen. People could do uh, mixed text where you could see the picture behind the teletext, so just the words would come up. And we did, at times, have, well, we used to chip in as well, and Dominic Diamond as well would, would ring up and you know give us messages to put up on screen. We did that, so we, had, we were, were speaking to Hewland uh, and we have been speaking to them about this sort of thing because we were on Channel 4, they were on Channel 4. So um, I think they were aware that we could be useful to them, you know, and we did at points put up uh, appeals for contestants for both Games Master and Games World. So at some point, the, the whole thing of, well, you know, maybe you guys should appear on Games Master came up. The weird thing is that, Digitizer, we were always on the kind of fringes of the games industry. We didn't mix with other games journalists. We had this completely unexpected friendship with Violet, but that was sort of about it as far as our, our interaction with the sort of wider games industry went. I'd once seen Julian Rignall uh, in a shop in Tottenham Court Road, and that was years before I even did digitise it. It's like, oh, it's Jazz Rignall from CNVG. I've never met, re- we never really met any of them. Um, we would occasionally kind of hear from some games journalists saying, oh, I really love what you're doing, but but it was, yeah, we were, we were sort of out on our own. So, and I know when this conversation started that we suggested perhaps Tim and I could do it together on screen together. And they, they ruled that out. And Tim said, well, I don't want to do it by myself because you know more about games than me and I'll just show myself up. So so it, it, I was the sort of then the designated representative of, of Digitizer and it ended up being me, for better or worse, that, that had to go on. And I still shudder at the thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, one of the questions I was going to ask was kind of like we spoke to some people um, who did interview, I did the reviews and the consultation zones in series two, and their kind of like memory of that was like, oh, we went to this. Uh, it was a recording studio. It was actually the same recording studio where like Bowie and the Beatles had, had done stuff, and they just went into this little booth, recorded their stuff, and, and left. And there were just sort of consoles laying around. But series three, I, I believe, was a little bit different. So I mean, like for the starters, we you know where was it recorded? It was in Soho, um, in this little side street in Soho. It wasn't a very big, I don't know if it was like a photographic studio, it might have been. Um, but anyway, it was a tiny little facility. You know, there was just camera set up, uh, you know, black backdrop, the journos to sit on, and then, yeah, off to one side, a bunch of consoles with the games that we were meant to be reviewing, which was the point at which I, uh, my my entire stomach fell out of my guts because I've been given this list of games to prepare reviews for. Um, and thankfully, they were all games that I'd either played or was able to get review copies of before filming my my slot. So I, I played them, I prepared. I mean, I was absolutely shitting myself. There's no, <laughs> you know, I mean, now it's like you stick the camera in front of me and I'll do anything. Back then, I've never appeared on camera or, or or anything. and I it was awful the morning of it. I mean, I, I was you know I was trying to remember all these facts and phrases that I wanted to say about these games that are 
I've been told to, that I was going to be reviewing. I can't remember what they were now. And I did, I don't know, it was awful. I, 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 I blow-dried my hair. I've never blow-dried my hair in my life. <laughs> like, now I just, no, just don't do anything to my hair. And my hair adopted this weird, quiffy, blick thing. Anyway, that's by the by. Uh, but that was the sort of state I was in. It was like, oh my God, yeah, I'm going to be so exposed. Anyway, so I got there and they said, um, oh, do you want to, if you just want to go and have a quick go of the game, just refresh yourself. Um, we were just doing, yeah, I think it was like Steve Merritt was there. Julian Rickman might have been there. I mean, no one spoke to me. That <laughs> was the guy from Digitizer, which they awaited, yeah, particularly the EMAP people. So I didn't speak to anyone. No, yeah, I was very obviously getting the cold shoulder from people. I mean, Steve Merritt, by the way, now I get on with really well. We chat on Twitter. But, yeah, at the time, we had a bit of a huge thing going on with EMAP. Um, anyway, so I went over to look at the games to refresh my memory of the games I'd been told to review. And there were none of the games I'd been told to review. I, and I had not played any, any of these games that I was then expected to talk about for a minute or more. I'd not played a single one of them. And it was like Toe Jam and Earl 2. I can't remember the rest now, I think. Uh, Turtles Tournament Fighters. There you go. I knew it was, there was a Turtles one in there. I hadn't played any of them. I didn't know a thing about these bloody games. And I had approximately 10 minutes to quickly have a quick go on each of them. And because I was so sort of over, you know, I was young and overwhelmed by the whole thing, I didn't stop to kind of say to anyone, I've not played any of these games. <laughs> you told me a whole load of different games. So then I sat in front of the camera, already kind of bricking it and overwhelmed and all the rest of it. Then having to think on my feet, things to say about a bunch of games that I'd perhaps had at most a minute with each. <laughs> it was awful. It was awful. <laughs> we heard a similar story. So we had... um. Uh... Dan Tootle, uh, who's a friend of the oh, podcast, yeah. and yeah, you yeah. know, he was a, a small kid when he actually did the the reviews in series two. But we were talking to him, and like in the games that he came in to play, one of them was Megalomania, and like they were like, "Cool, you get you get ten minutes to play Megalomania oh now, God. give a review of it." And I'm like, "Well, that's not a game you can like." Or well, I can't remember what the other one was now, but it was like that's not a game that you can sit there for ten minutes and get a full idea of of like if Megalomania is any good within a, a ten minute time span. Yeah, yeah, you know that you need at least a day. To, to even understand the basics of the controls. I'm, I'm yeah. Idea. Um, yeah, so it was, it was, uh, I was absolutely rabbit caught in the headlights. Um, and uh, yeah, to say that I don't look back on that fondly is, uh, would be an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> For people that don't closely follow our Twitter interactions, I think actually it was off the back end of you posting on Twitter about how much you disliked your experience on Games Master that I kind of just chipped up from the under-consultation Twitter account going, is this a bad time to ask for an interview about your time on Games Master? <laughs> yeah, well, it's the, because I, I, I just look weird in the footage anyway, and I'm always, over the years, that clips of it have just sort of followed me around, and people go, oh, look, look at you, you look weird when you were 21. Um, and uh, it's, And I just remember how awful i felt on the day just how i don't know just just out of my depth completely out of my depth the only bit of it i kind of like is in i think in the christmas episode they showed a, a few seconds of outtakes and you get me going i don't know what to say <laughs> uh, and, 
end. <laughs> That's like about the most human moment in it. It was the rest of it. I'm kind of full, kind of Daisy from Star Trek meets Mark Zuckerberg, just staring at the camera in fear. But they did ask me back to audition for a regular on there. <laughs> Which the oh, audition like a, a commentator or for reviews? No, they asked me back to audition. There were a bunch of us. It was um oh god, what's his name? He because he ended up he got the job. Tim. Um, no, I'm thinking Tim Norris. I can find out. But anyway, but it was a bunch of us audition. That, I was way more relaxed and it went quite well. I mean, it didn't go well enough that I got the, got the job. But, um, but yeah, they did at least ask me back. So, because <laughs> they felt bad. <laughs> it was a pity, pity audition. I'm going to put you over uh, in terms of this and the, you know, the, the, the comments that you make. And I'm not just doing this because you're on the show and I'm not going to be here to blow smoke because um, we've actually recorded our thoughts on the two episodes that you were on, on the, the Christmas episode and the one after. So I've already, I've already said my thoughts on this. But like, I think you're one of the, the more fair reviews. My issues I've always had with Games Master reviews, at least at this point anyway, is that there are some people that come on and be like, oh, it's just another platform again. Oh, it's just another beat-em-up. Oh, it's just another that. But like when you uh, talk about Turtles Tournament Fighters, you're like, yeah, it is another beat em up game. But do you know what? It's not half bad. And if you like beat em up games, you'll probably like this one as well, which I think is a much fairer way of looking at it as opposed to just, oh, it's another Street Fighter clone. Therefore, it's bad. But I couldn't I didn't dare slag a game off. <laughs> oh, I hadn't played them. <laughs> I didn't dare give any of them like too bad a review because because, yeah, what if they turned out to be good? Yeah, you know, it, it, it was not a fair way of reviewing games anyway. And I mean, all I all I was focused on really was being coherent. I couldn't think to <laughs> to you know be creative at all in kind of my reviewing. I just had to kind of hope that what I said sounded a bit like I might be familiar with the game. <laughs> I mean, I I bought it. It sounded like you knew the game back to front to me. Well, I'm I'm good at bullshitting, clearly. So. <laughs> well, I am. I know that for a fact. <laughs> but that's one of my few few notable skills. Me and Ash really liked your uh, the, the Christmas episode anyway because you basically picked as your favourite game of the year, Zombies Ate My Neighbours, and that's a game that I absolutely love. Ah, good. Yes, yeah, I did. I mean, I played that not so long ago. Actually, it's still great. <laughs> it is it's, great. It's a cracker. Yeah. That actually was a question I was going to ask: Is was Zombies your actual pick or did you turn up and they went say this is your favorite game i wouldn't be surprised if that was the case i suspect what happened and this is ringing a vague bell that i hadn't been told to pick my favorite game until i got there on the day and was probably already sat in front of the camera and they said oh now tell us your game of the year and i probably plucked that out of the air i can't can't tell you what else was released that year but i did i loved it i loved zombies ate my neighbors um but I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm quite surprised that I would have chosen that as my game of 1993. The other games that were picked were exactly what you'd expect for 93. Uh, Street Fighter on either the Mega Drive or the SNES, FIFA, Sensible Soccer, Syndicate. Mm. And then right at the end, after a journalist, I think it was after he'd picked Sensible Soccer. Was it Andy Nuttall, Luke? Uh, yeah, remember? it's Andy Nuttall, I think, that picked it, yeah. Yeah. Suddenly goes, oh, and Claymates and Clay Fighter, because <laughs> going by what happened earlier in the series, money had exchanged hands between oh. Interplay and Hewland. And it was a very obvious, we're recommending these games 
even though we've kind of shown that Clay Fighter isn't actually that good. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. Yeah, well, you know, that was the games industry of the 90s. I don't know what it's like now, but yeah, there was, there was a fair bit of that going on that we got wind of. Yeah, we felt it more in Series 3 uh, than we have in Series 1 and 2, where, like, if, you know, they're showing off this new game, they're like, this is the brand new game, it's flying off the shelves. There's, like, one of them, I can't remember which game it was now, but Do- Dexter Fletcher, that episode keeps going, it's got the best graphics you've ever seen in your life. Like, that was the, oh, the line God. that he kept pulling over, like, for these games. So it really has felt, a lot of Series 3 has felt more like, yeah, this feels like paid promotion as opposed yeah. to this is just a challenge. It was World Champion Tennis or some tennis game, but it was for the yeah. CDI. The that was, it was the CDI. Oh, that what? was the one, yeah. It's got the best graphics you've ever seen in your life. Oh, my God. Yeah, you see, the trouble was Dexter Fletcher, the sense I always got was he wasn't a gamer. He was, he was, he's an actor and director, as now we know. You know, he just, oh, well, I mean, you probably heard all sorts of stories about Dexter. Yeah, the story that we've been told essentially was that it was having Bob Mills on Games World was they they kind of like they Jane Helens would realize that oh we don't actually need to have a games expert because we just need a, a team of people behind them that know about the games and they can just write the scripts for them. We just need someone who's enthusiastic. And yeah, and that, apparently that's why like Dexter was picked. He's different. He's yeah. he's he's very much a traditional light entertainment host as opposed to yes. Dominic that's kind of deconstructing. The, yeah. the role of being a light entertainment slash game show host. I mean, you know, I sound like I'm kind of, you know, worshipping at the feet of Dominic Diamond. I sometimes found the humour a bit what would now be called ed- edgelordy and a bit mm. me- mean-spirited, and that wasn't there with Dexter Fletcher, so I know what you mean. Yeah, I'm, I'm, in, I'm intrigued to get to that portion because I think, like, once he comes back for Series 4 and 5 and 6, I think that's when... The, the style of the show very much changes like uh, a friend of mine says that the show stops being games master and becomes dominic and his mates and yeah. and, and so i'm very curious to get to those episodes and kind of looking back on those with retrospect yeah that was always the sense i got and, and that was kind of the sense that i got on the on the grapevine as well that it became very much dominic and his mates club And now, our new Room of the Future competition. Here at the Games Masters Academy, we have all the latest and greatest gaming consoles. So we're going to give you a chance at home to get your hands on some goodies. Inside the Room of the Future are four of the most advanced bits of gaming equipment in the world. A Panasonic 3DO multiplayer, a Philips CDI home entertainment centre with a digital video cartridge, the state-of-the-art Amiga CD32, and the incredible 64-bit Atari Jaguar. Now, here's how to enter the competition. Over the next few weeks, we'll be showing you three questions which will be hidden in confusion print which looks something like this. Now, the answer to each question will be a number, and if you string all three numbers together, you'll have a code that opens the door to the room of the future, giving you a chance to win one of those fabulous consoles. Before you can do that, though, you're going to have to decode the confusion printing. We'll show you how to do that later in the program. So grab a pen and paper in the ad break and stand by. Well, it could be a happy Christmas for someone who wins the room of the future, where you could win either a Panasonic 3DO, a Philips CDI, an Amiga 32 CD, or the Atari Jack which is the competition prizes for the team championships and over the next few weeks we're going to get this as like a running competition thing there'll be like the scramble of letters on screen and then you use something to decode it and that will give you uh the three numbers that you need in order to unlock the room of the future 
And at the very, very end of this episode, and I mean very end of this episode because it's pretty much after the credits, they kind of tell you how you can make your own decoder if you haven't got the Games Master magazine. It is a bit of a way to kind of shill a Games Master magazine, but they do show that it is very easy to do this literally with things that you have lay around your house. I remember so many things to do with like kind of secret decoder games and whatnot and Blue Peter stuff where they're like, and if you have some red cellophane lay around the house, who the hell other than lighting engineers have red gels or cellophanes lay around the house? The best you could do was after Christmas with the leftover wrappers from your quality street, but even mm-hmm. they would be crinkled as hell and you weren't going to be able to iron those. They just melt. But what a selection of prizes because realistically there is one there that I think stands head and shoulders above the other. It's 3DO because it's the only one of the four that actually has a reasonable library of games. Now, a lot of them may be ports, but it's still a reasonable library of games. But that is enough reviews and feature. It's time for our second challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? For my next challenge, I've selected the very amusing platform game, Alfred Chicken for the Super Nintendo. Our contestants have 45 seconds to collect as many diamonds as possible, avoiding the villainous clockwork mice and the numerous other toy town perils. Again, five points will be awarded to the team with the most diamonds, two for second place, and zero for last. I cannot fucking believe the snare's got a port of Alfred Chicken. I can tell you that for free. I can't believe they chose it for a challenge. I'll tell you that also for free. Well, I mean, to be honest, when you actually see the way that these people are playing the games, like these selection of games do sort of make a little bit of sense, I guess, in a way. But yeah, this is Alfred Chicken on the Super Nintendo. You just got to collect as many. It's the exact same challenge we had previously, just with a different uh, character. And this features... I mean, this is easily the worst games playing that we see in this episode, uh, quite handedly so. Like, I mean, Dave and Dex even talk about how some of this is Hall of Shame worthy. All right then, Dave, John Altman's up first, better known as Nick Cotton or nasty old King Rat. Is uh, Dick Whittinson? Dave, tell us a bit about his game playing prowess. If you thought John was bad as nasty Nick, you should see him as King Rat. I don't want him to win. I don't think he'll win. No, I don't want him to win, so I want lots of booze from the audience, all right? Yeah, booze. Okay. First up on the block, literally, It's Nasty Nick, a.k.a. John, and Dave doesn't like John as Nick Cotton. He doesn't like him as King Rat, and he doesn't want him to win, and he tells the audience that they shouldn't want him to win either because he's a baddie. Boo him. Boo. Thankfully, he dies straight away, and Dave gets his wish. Yeah, he bounces straight into a clockwork mouse, zero diamonds, zero points, and my note was someone's going to have to biff really badly to draw even with this attempt. (laughs) I don't think this is the worst performance we've had on Games Master Season 3. Interestingly, with the Panto connection, I think it draws equal with the Aladdin challenge where the kid jumped straight into the lava and did the Terminator 2 ending, just like straight down. Although Nasty Nick lasted longer, so to speak, (laughs) because it took him longer to get to his peril. Well, speaking of taking longer to get to your peril, um, Ebenezer of Aladdin is up next, the, the Woking team. So this challenge is 45 seconds. It takes him 35 seconds to actually get up the two jumps and then get into the actual diamonds bit. 
it's amazing that he gets any diamonds in this at all, really, because he gets 12 and has a couple of seconds left on the clock before he uh, takes a hit. But man, watching him just jump and jump and jump. And Dave is trying to give some encouragement, but it is just falling on deaf ears. Yeah, and diamonds collected right? points because he's he awful, to, to be honest. He wants to get up there. He's, he is that how over his eyes for what, Dave? He has to get many guys. He doesn't seem to be able to get up there. It's really easy. Just push over with a joypad, Ray. You? There you go. Right. He's on. He's got a couple yeah. of diamonds. My note on this was he leads the pack in spite of himself. <laughs> yeah. Although Dave, again, he says, that Ray has gone from playing Alfin home and away to being Alfred Chicken. <laughs> eh? Eh? Yeah. Eh? No. 12 is the score to beat. And last up, we've got Wayne Morris, and Dave points out that he's the only good guy in this challenge, and that, as you all know, we want the good guys to win. I mean, ideally, I'd like good games players to win, but I think we've already realised that that's not going to happen here. And he's the only goodie in our cast on this challenge, and we know at Christmas we like the good guys to win. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, no, we don't. Oh, yes, we do. Oh, no, we don't. Oh, yes, we do. Let's start the challenge. Off you go. Good luck. It's so shit and so cheesy, and I love it. Yeah, Dex and Dave are having a good time recording this episode. As I said, like this... Based on Dave's voice, this feels like it's very much like this might have even been like one of the last things that they recorded, possibly even the last thing that they recorded for this series of Games Master. So it almost feel, it's got a bit of like a party atmosphere, particularly between Dave and Dex. But while they're doing the panto shtick, Wayne looks thoroughly bemused by it. He gets ready for his challenge. And to put it short, Wayne wins this challenge by understanding the rudimentary basics of how a platform game works. And he gets 33 diamonds. He also manages to kill some enemies rather than just dying because of them. Yeah, I mean, he's won this challenge with 30 seconds left on the clock of a 45-second challenge. I would say that he smashes it, but that would be... I think that might be too kind, because, like... He gets to 31 with 10 seconds left and ends with 33. And that's because he can't quite get any more. Like he's trying, but it does fall apart a little bit towards the end. But that is the end of the second challenge. One of the teams has to go. I already know how this is going to go. What are the scores, Dex? Okay, things ain't been going too well for the Dick Whittingtons from Croydon. They've got none in the first challenge and none in this one. Makes a big zip on their scoreboard. Now, the Aladdins from Woking, they did a bit better in the first challenge. And quite well in the second one, they've got four overall, but way out in front. Are the Dick Whittingtons from Bath, they got five in the first challenge, five in the next challenge. That makes ten, I think. Let's chat with the losers. Oh, mate, your Croydon lot have not done well here. Two challenges, two lost. Goose eggs for them. It's like the postcode, mate. CR zero. Uh, yeah, that's Aladdin on four and Dick Bath with 10. Good crikey, there's a lot of ADR on this episode. Like the difference between Dex being like, let's take a look at the scoreboard to then Dex going through the scores is so nice. But you can hear the walls. It's like me recording in my new house. Now, we said this might have been the end of recording and it, there was the party atmosphere. Maybe they'd been at the old uh, cooking sherry. Could be. Oh, Gutted, and they're going to be in for a lot of trouble tonight in the show. A lot of trouble for the show. Well, good luck with the show. Thank you very much for coming down. Anyway, King Rat is gutted and essentially says, and I like this, he's going to have words with them at the show tonight. He's going to have words with all of them. I would love to think that at the show that night, he literally did that. He shot on them on the stage. 
I was at Games Master with you earlier today. You disgraced us. All of that madness was 13 minutes of actual TV time. It was 13 minutes. Good. They crammed a fucking lot into those 13 minutes. And as chaotic and messy and daft as it was, I genuinely loved the first half of that show. It felt so Christmassy. Because also, we should point out, Games Master is wearing a Santa hat as well. Oh, yeah. I forgot to say that. But yeah, he's got, he's got the Christmas deal on. And unlike our last Christmas special, there's balloons and tinsel and fairy lights. They've actually done more for this kind of real haphazard, shonky episode in the second half of a season where they had to do all change on the location for reasons completely beyond their control. And it feels proper Christmassy. And it's only going to get more Christmassy because we've got a celebrity challenge coming up where we've got a returning guest who in himself is a future king of pantomime. But that is after the adverts. Well, we've got two celebrity teams left there battling out for the fabulous Games Master Golden Joystick. All sounds like a good prize. Not only that, we've got a smashing knockout celebrity challenge for you after the break. So don't go too far. See you in a sec. Bye. This Christmas, give him a gift that will help bring you a little closer. The revolutionary Gillette Sensor for a shave that is unsurpassed. I know just what to get, Joe. He's crazy about Sonic the Hedgehog. What can I get, Karen? She's always cooking. Oh, it's great. Always experimenting. These look like fun. He'd love to find them in his docking. Who cares that you find just the right present? Boots. We care because you do. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This Sunday in the news of the world, your free Christmas and New Year TV guide. 64 pages of viewing on all the major channels. Your favorite films, soaps and celebrities. With video plus numbers, the easy way to set your video. There's loads to read for all the family. For a great turn on this Christmas, get your TV guide free in the news of the world. Christmas is a time of many emotions. Frustration. <laughs> rejection. Envy. But for Christmas cheer, explore our vast range of drinks at Tesco, like our Bergerac, this Hofmeister 24-pack, and this 12-pack of Becks. Tesco. Every little helps. bunch of little adverts there for you. Right, now in true Games Master style, we'll have a celebrity challenge. And we never let you down on Games Master. We've got a big celebrity for you. It's going to be a very exciting challenge. Please go absolutely mental for the man himself, the one and only Santa Claus. Go on, go on. Santa, has anyone ever told you you bear an uncanny resemblance to Frank Bruno? <laughs> you do it. Do it look like Frank Bruno? Santa, I don't suppose you've got a computer at home yourself, um, have you? The kids have, not me. No, yeah. are you going to play a computer challenge for I'm us? I'm going to try. Yeah? Yeah. Do you want to pick one of the kids out to play uh, a challenge against you? Who's your, who's I, your I think I picked my little girl, Nicola. All right, then we won't say that's biased, but of course we'll have Nicola up here to play Frank. That's great. Come, Nick. Smile. Come on, Nick. Jump up here. Yeah. Nick. Come on, darling. Have you got a computer at home, Nick? Yes. You have? What you got? Uh, Super NES and Sega. Look after yeah. your friend. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Look after me as well. <laughs> Good. I'm sure she does. When we come back from the ad break, it is time for our celebrity challenge. And it turns out our celebrity this week is Santa Claus. I'm going to dance around a delicate subject here, Luke. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's Santa. I don't think so either. And I also don't think that this reveal works the way they thought it might do. Because Santa comes out and he's throwing chocolate and he's throwing sweeties to, to the kids as he's walking through. And the kids are going bananas because Santa Claus is here. Santa Claus then walks up on stage and Dex is like, Actually, I'm not sure you are Santa Claus, are you? And he pulls down the beard and he's like, it's Frank Bruno! To like, no reaction whatsoever. I think the idea was the kids would go nuts that Frank Bruno is here to be part of the celebrity challenge. But I think the kids were actually more interested in the idea that it was Santa. Who was giving out legit, as you said, sweets and presents and stuff. There was gifts being given out and the, crit the kids were into it. Anyway, it's Frank Bruno. He's here for a challenge. Dex invites him to pick a kid out of the audience to compete with. 
and a sea of hands go up and Frank chooses his daughter and <laughs> names her as his daughter. His daughter does not look impressed <laughs> at all. <laughs> she looks like she does not want to be there. She doesn't want to do this challenge. And even Dex goes, oh, a bit of bias there, kind of a bit, bit of yeah, favoritism. We, we won't call that bias, yeah. Um, I mean, she's got SNES and a Mega Drive as well, so she's doing pretty all right for herself. She could have both versions of Street Fighter if she wants it. Now, Frank has obviously been on the show before. He was in Series 2, Episode 2, doing the Sonic Blast Man Challenge. In fact, actually, he's our reigning champion on Sonic Blast Man in Games Master Lore. So he's on track here to be another two-time winner, along with Shadow and Vinnie Jones. But in order to do so, he has got to win the challenge. Usually at this point, I would go, what are we playing, Games Master? But I'm going to play the clip here instead, because Dexter throws it to the kids so that they can all do together the Oi! Games Master! All right, then, let's go to the Games Master. Yeah. See what your challenge is going to be, yeah, Nick? All right, then. Right, Oi! Games Master! Our celebrity guest and his lovely young daughter will go head-to-head on the boxing simulation Greatest Heavyweights for the Sega Mega Drive. As Mr. Bruno knows, I'm only too well, the accuracy and the number of punches landed will give you the upper hand, but the damage inflicted to your opponent's head and body will count the most. My golden joystick is waiting for a champion. Ding, ding! Which again makes me feel like this was at the end of a long record because I have heard him do that a lot. I love that. I, I so genuinely, great. I was so, I was just like, oh, this is so, audience participation. And it didn't feel like they were taking the piss. No, no, this felt like it was, they were, they absolutely, everyone was just enjoying this. Everyone wanted to join in with him doing the Oi Games Master, as if like it was, you know, it's his catchphrase. But Games Master is well into this challenge as well with his introduction, and we've got a bit of a ding-ding at the end, and everyone's having so much fun. I mean, clearly this is after lunch, Patrick Moore. Yes. This is a guy that didn't leave any cooking sherry to be found. Poor Dave and Dex are probably on the creme de menthe at this point. So we're playing Greatest Heavyweights. Um, It's hard to decipher these from many of the other boxing games that we've had on Games Master. Um, Frank is going to be playing as Joey Lewis and Nicola is going to be playing as um, Muhammad Ali, we, we later discover. It's really odd I found this challenge because I would say that Frank did nothing in this. Like he does a lot of sort of like walking towards, a lot of walking back. He'll throw a handful of punches, but it feels like he goes through a long period of time where he doesn't throw a punch whatsoever. But when it comes down to the end of this, and like, by the way, and Nicola is smashing buttons. Like she is button mashing the heck out of this. But when it comes down to the final result, because it goes to judge's decision, Nicola only threw like 60 more punches than Frank did. Whereas like, it honestly feels like she threw 60 punches and he threw none. I'm wondering if we missed some punches because this game does also, I should point out, support a six-button joypad. So you actually get more variety on what sort of punches you throw and how you control them. And I'm wondering if going by the way the game is on screen, if some of those punches that we didn't see of Frank's were being thrown from the right. Oh, yeah? Purely because, I mean, let's just say, this game does actually look pretty sweet. Like, mm. it's nice, big, well-animated sprites and graphics, but it is side-on. So if Frank was repeatedly throwing left hooks and left jabs, you'd see the arm travel more, where if he was throwing right jabs, it, it, his body's blocking it. Plus, also, Nicola is flailing like a loon. And, and just throwing punches all over the place. 
So part of me wondered is maybe did we not see some of those? Also, editing, because it's not a great fight. It does have a bit of back and forth because it's all Niccolo at the beginning, but then Frank does actually mount a bit of a comeback. And I almost felt bad for Nicola because my brain was going, she doesn't want to be there, but can you imagine not wanting to be there and losing to your dad on TV? Yeah, I, I don't think she's well into this. I, I actually, I, I don't think Frank seems particularly into it either. It almost, I, I, I was wrote in my notes, I wonder if Frank knows that he's been on Games Master before. And yeah, I mean, it is a different host, so there's every chance that he doesn't. Is it the best boxing challenge we've had? Because a lot of the boxing challenges we've had on Games Master have been quite toilet. And I think this is, I mean, this is just a, it's another toilet boxing challenge. I don't think it's the worst. I don't think it's the best. I think it just is. Yeah, it's just there. And it's a shame because the game is a better game. And it's a shame we just didn't get better people playing it. Like, actually, I can see this working quite well as a regular team championship match as the beat-em-up round. That mm. This could work. But then again, that would be in the hands of actual games players that would have been practicing on it all day and may have played related games. But instead, we do have the video game equivalent of a slap fight. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's not great. It seems that the judge's decision has gone Nicola's way, doesn't it, Dave? Why is that then? She was a more aggressive fighter. The judges like that. They've given her the fight. She had the bigger punch at the end of the day, basically, is what they're saying. So let's bring them both back on stage. And we'll so, uh, Nicola, you didn't show your dad any mercy there, did you? Yeah. My nose can tell for that. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like it's been squashed, sweating yeah. all over your face. Thanks very much. I'll buy you a drink. <laughs> Thanks very much, mate. <laughs> so I didn't mean to be rude. All right, then. And it's got a limp ending as well. Because it goes to judge's decision, the, the round ends and they sort of part. And then it just cuts to Nicola, who's got the look on her face that uh, essentially says, what just happened? And then that's it. And then that's the, the challenge over. And you have to cut to Dave to explain how Nicola won. And that's where he goes, yeah, she had the biggest punch at the end of the day. Frank also says that his nose can attest to the lack of mercy that Nicola showed him. And Dex says it looks squashed. I like this little bit of back and forth of like Frank going, oh, thanks very much. You can buy me a drink later. <laughs> and you do in the background hear Dex backpedaling. I'm going, oh, you know, didn't mean, didn't mean any offence because you know what? It is lovable, cuddly Frank Bruno, but he could still flatten you. This is still like heavyweight champion Frank Bruno levels. But there was much laughter all round as Slab Man Beef appears and presents Nicola with the trophy. And she does look actually a bit happier with the trophy. I think she enjoyed this a little bit at the end, but I don't know, maybe nervous? Could be. But, you know, there's now two golden joysticks at the Bruno household. You can place them alongside each other. One each side of the TV or the mantelpiece. That's it. That's They're it. Yeah. Blanking his other trophies. Did you also see Frank's other daughter there? Oh, yes. Yeah, she was just up on stage with him at the end. She, she was tiny, so small. <laughs> we should just have the two daughters fight on the game and Frank could have like refereed or something or commentated. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, provide commentary. Yeah. But it's Christmas. And what would Christmas be without the consultation zone other than less rushed? Will the first people with desperate needs please come forward for some intensive tuition? Games Master, I've heard there's an extra life hidden in a giant Mac on the Game Boy. Can you tell me where it is, please? On stage six, when you come to the rock foundation hanging from the ceiling, wait for about ten seconds. Fruit will begin to appear and drop to the floor. Collect every piece of fruit and a bonus life will be yours for the taking. Thanks. We've talked about Joe Mac before. This is the Game Boy port. It's Joe Mac on the Game Boy. It's not yeah. bad. It looks, it looks nice. Also, it's nice to see that they're using the kind of um, Superboy type 
dev board thing because we're not getting camera pointed at a Game Boy screen anymore. We're now getting a proper solid direct video capture with an electronic surround. Looks lovely. Really helps sell a Game Boy game. I can't get anywhere on Superman for the Master System. Can you help me? I have just the thing. Enter ZAQ on the high score table. Now play the game. The things get a little too frantic for you. Hold down both buttons and you'll be transported to the next level without expending any extra effort. Oh, thanks very much. But our second kid can't get anywhere on Superman for the Master System. Now, I thought this was setting up that the three-letter code would be Zod, but it's not. <laughs> exact note. Instead, the code is Zack. Z-A-Q. I actually wrote down in my notes, the code is Zod. Because I saw Z on screen, I was like, oh, cool, right, so Zod is the code. No, that would have been too appropriate. If you enter this code of Zack, Z-A-Q, on the high score table, it will say cheat mode activated. And then when playing the game, if things get a bit too frantic, hold down both buttons and you'll get transported to the next level. Now, we know the kids are plants. Fine. We know they're given these queries. Fine. Games Master, I'm not getting anywhere on Superman for the Master System. Ah, well, if you put this in the high score table, <coughs> no, you clothy adult, I'm getting nowhere in Superman. The high <laughs> score table is not for me. It depends on how easy it is to get on the high score table, I suppose. If it's empty, then you, you're guaranteed to get on there. I suppose so. It just felt like a bit of a low blow of like, oh, you're struggling on Superman. Well, go to the high score table. <laughs> and if you can't do that, you're sod out of luck. Okay, now the game's master sorted out that issue, so in the consultation zone, we can get on with our final challenge. We've got two teams left. We've got Aladdin and Dick Whittington. So, the Dick Whittington team, how do you think you're going to do on this last challenge? We're going to win. You're going to win. There you have it from King Rat himself. And what do you think of this other team, then? What do you think, Ebenezer? Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. We're going to win like we always win. Well, they don't seem daunted by that at all. <laughs> Not done terribly well already. <laughs> I did particularly well. He did particularly well there, have you know? Thank you very much. We cut back to our panto play and Dick Bath talk about how they think they're going to win, but Ebenezer says, we're going to win like we always win. And I, I enjoyed him playing up the panzo. That was nice. They're, they're all really, really getting into it. And in fact, well, Dex throws over for the last challenge to Games Master. They're back and forthing. They're, they're riffing. They're doing their own thing. And as I said, this is another of those points where things dissolve into chaos. Dex rolls with it. But whether they're good games players or not, the Panto teams are having fun. It, it's a day trip. They've been rehearsing for months. They're doing a show a day, two a day at weekends. This is one of their off days. And they've gone on a bit of a day trip down to London. They record here. They go down the boozer afterwards. Lovely. Yeah, this probably was a really fun day for them. Also, like, you know, the Panto circuit know the Panto circuit. So they probably already know each other anyway. Yeah, it, it's, it's quite lovely, really. But it is time for our final challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? For my final challenge this Yuletide evening, I've chosen the very festive Holiday Lemmings for the Amiga. Hordes of mindless lemmings are plummeting to their death from a great height. And our guests must attempt to save them by attaching a tiny parachute to their backs. The contestant who saves the highest percentage of lemmings in 45 seconds will be our Christmas champions and the worthy winners of my golden joystick. This isn't really a, a, a challenge. Essentially, holiday lemmings, this is a challenge where the lemmings are on a ledge and then they fall off that ledge and then they walk into a hut. They walk into the end. But if you don't give them the umbrella, then they just fall to their death. What you have to do, the whole challenge, 
is just to hover over a certain point and click whenever a lemming goes past you. And that is it. And while you could say, that's not an actual games playing challenge, that's rubbish, this, that, and the other, that's not what bothers me. What bothers me is that it's fucking boring to watch because we get uh, 90 seconds of this and it is quite dull. It is quite dull. And part of me can't help but wonder, did they always plan for the last challenge to be Holiday Lemmings? Because it's the only Christmas game on the Christmas episode it's a big thing at this time and they got them in and they're like right who'd be doing the last challenge if uh, if you get to the last round and they put their candidates forward and they're like right you ever played lemmings no okay here's the basis this is the level or a similar level to the one you're going to be playing and the production team sit there and they watch three challenges all get a hundred percent failure rate and then they watch them try again and two of them get a hundred and ten percent failure rate which as we know luke it's not possible. You can't have more than 100%. That's impossible. But that's how bad they were. They managed it. And so at that point, they went, right, drawing board. Have we got any other Christmas games we can use? No. Okay. What's the simplest Christmas Lemmings level we can give them? Well, what about the one where all you need to do is keep your mouse pointer in one place and click repeatedly? Well, that'd be boring. Yeah, but it's better than the alternative. And that is my acting out the behind the scenes that I feel leads to this challenge because I cannot think of any other reason why we would have ended up in this. Because there's literally no skill to any of this. And and, and like and, and again, like you could say that there's no skill to it and that's the problem, but it's just it's also not fun to watch. Alison from Aladdin is up first and yeah, she basically just like, she gets 45% in the 45 seconds. Dave does tell her that if you go down into the bottom right-hand corner, there's like a little plus button that would have sped it up because even in this 45 seconds, you don't get the 100% of Lemmings out. I would actually think you probably get 60% of it out because Robin last, he, he gets 60%. So yeah, it's just her for 45 seconds. Click, click, click. Sometimes she gets it, sometimes she missed, and that's it. Yeah, it was boring. It, I'm not going to argue against it. It amused me purely because this is like clicking tick boxes on a website. And I know this is pre-internet and whatever, and computers were still a strange thing, and people would still do the Scotty hello computer to mice and whatnot. But also, all she had to do was hold the mouse pointer in one place and click. And she kind of biffed it at times, and that made me laugh. That helped the boredom. Next up is Robin, he's captain of the ship. Dave, tell us a bit about his game playing prowess. Well, Robin was worried about this challenge. He's practiced more than anybody and he's become very good at it. He's only got 45% to beat, but I want to see him get about 75% or we talk to his producer and have him turned into the cabin boy. Then we come to Robin and Dave says that Robin was worried about this challenge and practiced it more than anyone, but Dave wants to see him get 75% or he'll talk to his producer and have him demoted to cabin boy. While he's saying that, Dex is gurning in the background. I, this is why I think they've been at the cooking sherry or the creme de menthe, because Dex is just larking about. They're having fun. It's a good time. Robin doesn't miss any of them. No, he gets all of the ones that are there. He ignores the speed up thing. And to be honest, if he'd gone for the speed up thing, he'd have had to take his mouse pointer away from the point where it's working. So why would he do that? Yeah, no, exactly. Like, he had a system. Because like, all he's got to do is just do better than Alison did. And he was doing better than Alison did because he wasn't missing a single one of the ones that was falling. By virtue of being able to click a mouse, Robin wins. Sorry, let's have a quick moment of Princess. Princess, sorry. Yes. Sorry, you're being commiserated, I know. Obviously, I didn't win, but 
you know, I had fun playing the game. You did, thank you I very did much. Have fun well, that's the, game. the main thing. And I hope we see you at Christmas. I'm sure you will. Thanks very much. Good luck with the show. Hey, thank yes, thank you very much. So, Captain. Oh, Captain. Yes, matey. So, uh, matey. <laughs> matey. It all went yes. all right for you there, didn't it? It certainly did. Hey, watch it, you. Yes. Sorry. It went very well. It did. I had a shaking finger, but I was all right. Post match, Alison says she hoped to do better, but she's commiserating with her team, and she did have fun playing the game for as much playing as was involved in that. And she also hopes that they see decks at Christmas. Nice little plug at the end there. Just to remind us all while we're here is to plug, go see your local panto. The captain, meanwhile, who's called Robin, and I still don't really know who he is, but he says he had a shaking finger, but he thinks it went all right. Dex says that this means he wins the Golden Games Master joystick. Everyone goes mad, including the captain, Gus and Robin. The captain, for reasons known only to himself, starts leading the crowd in a sing-song of... And the crowd are more than happy to join in. Whilst this is happening, Roll Fizzlebeef comes up to present the trophy and the captain kisses him on both cheeks. Well, both sides of the welding mask. And I had to stop the episode there because I was crying because it was so weird because the crowd are still singing Here We Go in the background. Tom Thumb was weird. This is just as weird and just as surreal. Dex has no real control over what's going on and he doesn't care. It's great. Yeah, as I wrote in my notes, they're over the moon. Like they are just delighted to have won this. Okay, next week we're back into the heat again in the championship semi-final, but we're moving to a Tuesday, okay? So don't forget we're on Tuesday, 6.30 now, but we'll see you then hopefully. Have a good Christmas We'll be back in the heats next week, but the show is moving from a Thursday to a Tuesday, which means that come next week, we will still be in December. We're actually we're on the 28th. And that's it for this episode. Or is it? Well, no, because we go through the normal thing. Um, Dex promotes the fact that there's the move and then he goes off to join the party. Uh, we get the Games Master shutting down. The Games Master and his Santa hat shutting down. They went the effort to include that little mod graphic on the closing titles. And we think we're at the end of the credits. But then we cut to Dex clearly after this was filmed and clearly in someone's stock room or back office because we've got piles of videotapes on one side, <laughs> piles of computer hardware and music keyboards on the other. In fact, I think that keyboard is one of the ones that was used in the make video game music feature mm, yeah, yeah. from a couple of seasons back. And this is when he explains how you're going to enter the competition. As promised, here we are in the Games Master's Workshop to show you how to read that confusion printing and answer the questions in our Room of the Future competition. The only way to decode the writing is by looking through something red. And young Daniel here is going to show you how to make your very own decoder. Grab hold of anything shiny, plastic and see-through. This cup, for example, and then colour it in red. Just get an old plastic bottle or package and then cut round the bottom and then colour that in red. It'll do. You could even use cling film. Just get yourself a bit, then get a bit of cardboard, cut out a frame, stick the cling film onto the frame, then colour that in red. Of course, if you've got a bit of red cellophane hanging around, you could always use that. Alternatively, if that seems like too much hassle, you could always use one of these Games Master red monocle things. It's free with Games Master magazine, available everywhere, 195 Whatever you do, make sure you've got something red for next week's test question. The week after that, the competition starts for real. Good luck. Say goodbye, Daniel. Bye, Daniel. And he says the only way to read the question is to look through something red. 
and young Daniel is going to show you how to make your decoder, which basically involves grabbing anything shiny plastic and see-through, like a plastic cup, getting a red felt-tip pen, although it's definitely a marker pen because it stays on. Yeah. Back back when you trusted kids with marker pens, briefly, yeah, yeah. until they like drew on the cat. That was when you stopped. I'm not sure Crayola's going to do the job here. And then they say, colour it in red, which he does. And I think that is the cue sound. It is. I wrote that down. It sounds exactly like the cue sound from um, Archer McLean Snooker. And Dex says you can also use a plastic bottle. So we cut to a plastic bottle and that sound. And then he says some clean film. And I'm just thinking, okay, you're stretching it a bit and the clean film. But in theory, clear plastic, cellophane pack that you get a greeting card in, that would work better than clean film. That would work. And you make a little frame and it's kind of like an eyeglass thing. Or, of course, you can buy that latest issue of Games Master magazine where they're giving one away that looks like the Games Master's monocle. It's only a pound fifty as well. It's a crazy price. But whatever you do, make sure you've got one of these ready for next week. There'll be a test question. And the week after that, the competition starts for real. Dex says, say goodbye, Daniel. Goodbye, Daniel. Classic comedy. <laughs> and that wraps up this mad, mad, mad chaotic show. Outside of the fun of the panto, this was shockingly shit. It was a rubbish episode. Like, the games were crap. The review section was not really there. I've, I've seen YouTube lists with more content in them. <laughs> Careful, you're skating dangerously <laughs> close there. <laughs> and I know because I make them. Uh, <laughs> the the consultation zone sort of was what it was and we had a celebrity challenge. I just thought all four challenges were so rubbish. But um, it's, I didn't like, I didn't hate, I don't think it's the worst episode that we've had of the show because I think we've had much more boring episodes where the challenges have been bad, but also it's just boring overall. Season two was a bit guilty of that, I think, as was series one. But uh, yeah, I was kind of like, once this was finished, I was ready to go back to the team championships. Credit to them, they managed to cram all of this into one episode. And I don't know how they did it. It must have been a stressful edit to, to whittle this down. But it was four challenges, nine competitors, a couple of sentences about reviews, and that about does it. I'm not going to say Alfred Chicken was <laughs> I'm not going to say Holiday Lemmings was shit. And I'm not going to say that Legends of Boxing game was because it was actually pretty good, but they'd all have been better in the hands of, I was about to say competent games players, but I'll just settle at games players. However, Dex and Dave were having a whale of a time. The crowd, bar missing their Frank Bruno reveal cue, were having a whale of a time. As shit as they were at games, the Panto teams were having a whale of a time even if they didn't understand what was going on this was great and there was so much energy in the room you can't blame them for being caught up in it because that's part of panto you feed the energy in the room and then you feed back off it it's kind of like the human centipede in light and entertainment it just goes around and around there's a mental image you're welcome <laughs> so many of the ingredients were wrong and yet i couldn't help but enjoy this episode <laughs> i'm absolutely ready to go back to the team championship and see what we get because the one thing the team championship has given us for the most part thus far is decent games players. There's been a few biffs, there's been a few mistakes, but you'd never get the feeling that this kid was just there because he's got a funny name or because, you know, he likes football and here's Ian Wright or whatever. These kids are there because they want to play games. I love this episode to the point where when it comes to next Christmas and I'm putting together my Christmas TV playlist of classic TV episodes, 
This one could go in over the previous Christmas episode because as bad as it is, it's fun and it's stupid and there's bad dad jokes and puns. And there is, for me at least, very recognisable 80s and 90s celebrities. I'm really conflicted because from an enjoyment level, for me personally, very high. Quality of episode, very low. So I genuinely don't know where to sit on the score. So I'm going to ask you first to see where you're at because I'm I'm struggling. I, I can't remember the last time I felt so conflicted over an episode. I mean, it is an episode that is hurt by the team championship format, but also helped by the team championship format because it makes it so much more chaotic. Like if this had just been a standard episode of Games Master, like, you know, like either season two style or even first half of season three, and everything is given a bit more room to breathe. That would have helped the pacing of the episode, but it probably actually would have made the episode more boring. So what we end up with is an episode that has far too much content that has to be trimmed down, which means that nothing in it actually matters, but the chaos surrounding it makes it feel like it is a much more energetic show. It's weird. And also the team championship element gives us basically the Warriors remade with pantomimes yeah which wow <laughs> that's a that's a concept that i need to work into something because this episode sort of works on paper but did not work in practice and my gut instinct for this was 74 percent because I, I i while i did enjoy the episode i from a purely sort of like if i've got to look at this from a critical standpoint i sort of came away from being like i mean that was just an episode but you know actually talking about it and reliving it i enjoyed this more than i enjoyed the season two uh, christmas episodes this may end up being the best christmas episode of games master and if it's the best christmas episode of games master can it be as low as 74 percent that just doesn't sound right i'm glad i am not the only one conflicted i've got a suggestion we are completely breaking with format here. But Luke, it's Christmas again. Mm-hmm. It is Christmas again. Two ratings. Rating it as an episode of Games Master. Rating it for the entertainment value. Okay. Because if we're rating it as an episode of Games Master, I might not even go as high as 74%. I might give it the Dignity 69. I, I think the Alfred Chicken Challenge probably should give it the Dignity 69 just for all of that terrible games playing. And, you know, at least I had holiday lemmings. But if we're talking pure entertainment value, which I guess it's a bonus rating of should you watch this episode if you haven't already, it's a 92. It's a 92 or a 93 because you will never see anything like this on Games Master again. This is perfect Christmas entertainment. It is light. It is frothy. This is actually Games Master you could watch with your gran because it's panto. And it's two days before Christmas as well. It's December 23rd. So you are going to be in such a Christmas spirit by this point. Santa is on his way. His sleigh bells are ring ting tingling too. He is on his route. So you are going to be geared up to see what you're going to get. You are geared up for Sonic Spinball on the Mega Drive and you're super excited about it. And I would imagine that this is, would have given you exactly what you would have wanted, which is just some games playing stuff at Christmas. And also via that best of 93, as pointless as it was, that little bit of a thing of, ooh, will I, will I get one of these? Yeah. So yeah, so I'm, I'm going to go with 69 for the actual episode as an episode of Games Master, but I'm going to go 93 on the entertainment value. 
So we're going to have to work out how we fit this into our results. <laughs> maybe maybe it's just a note. But yeah, I'm yeah. going to go 93 for entertainment because I, I laughed and enjoyed this as much as I enjoyed the Games Master Live episode for very different reasons. When you said that we were going to split this, my first thought was, cool. Well, it's 69% for innuendo purposes because it's panto. And it's 93 because this is December 93. Like that is, that, that's, how, that's how I'm figuring this. I am more than happy with that. If you're listening and you disagree with our judgment on that, that's fine because it's Christmas and arguments are part of it. You can email us and tell us we're wrong. And I'll be honest, I'll go, cool. <laughs> I don't care. I, I, I had so much fun. I wish we'd actually hit this at Christmas. There's no way the timing would have worked. The only way it would have worked is if we had like tried to release these episodes on the date that they would have aired. It would have been released on December 23rd. I mean, I wasn't taking the six-month gap, like because otherwise it's going to take us seven years to do this project. <laughs> well, that is going to do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You're all fantastic and you all rule. Uh, you can get in touch with us on the old social media channels at Twitter, at underconsolepod. We're on Instagram at under.console. And you can send us your thoughts on the episode, feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to get in touch with us and get a little bit of real-time interaction, we have a expanding discord community we've had some new folks join us over the past week or so they are very welcome conversation topics are broad and wide and still involve the super nintendo versus the nintendo 64 let it go cliff but it's a great community everyone is supporting each other as i said before because you know these are unprecedented times and it's going to be weird for a while longer genuinely having that place to go always makes me feel a bit happier details on it can be found in our show notes and also on social media and you can support this podcast monetarily over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod where you'll get next week's episode one week early and ad free at the five pound level you know in fact actually get back into the uh, team championships if you did not enjoy this panto special um and at the 10 pound level you get something a little bit extra ash what do they get oh they get a mug they get badges they get stickers they get retro sweeties retro power rangers trading cards and five pound off our first under consultation t-shirt which is available along with other mugs other stickers other badges other merch in general from underconsultation.com. and a shout out to those 10 pound backers david colin zach william simon sean robert rich phil nick misha matt joe jamie gordon cliff adam warrington and adam d i did it in reverse order that time to shake things up a little bit uh, but thank you all so much for listening you're all fantastic people we love each and every one of you and speaking of listening i mentioned it when i was on before but i appeared on a couple of episodes of hardcore gaming 101 uh, both of those episodes are now out there one is on mortal Kombat mythologies sub-zero mm-hmm. the other one it's on rock and roll f***ing racing luke oh I'd, oh yes it is <laughs> and by the time you hear this i will have recorded and in fact may have seen released another episode with them where we're going to be leaping a bit further forward into the future for time splitters future perfect oh very nice keep an eye out for that hardcore gaming 101 or hg 101 on twitter thank you all so much for listening we will see you in seven days time where the team championships return take care everyone goodbye daniel <laughs>